Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The 1960s arrived late in England, particularly the swinging version, about 1965 or 66. Before that, everything had been in black and white, a hangover from the post-war 50s. Yes, the Beatles and the Stones were around, but they were living in a land of their fathers. There were kitchen sink dramas on the telly, earnest war stories at the movies, self-important grown-ups telling you what to do. And then suddenly, it all changed. James Bond and Alfie, mods and psychedelia, and new swinging stars, Charlotte Rampling and the Redgraves, Twiggy and Michael Caine, Terence Stamp and Julie Christie, and Rita Tushingham in a film that seemed to sum it all up, The Knack and How to Get It. She's coming. Oh, to the YW. But that bed? That's not a bed, it's an Edwardian trampoline. It's a bed? No. Isn't it, Colin? No. It's my bed. It's a bed. With wheels. It's wheel traffic. The new stars were often working class, or at least classless. Celebrities were no longer friends of Princess Margaret. They were friends of Mick Jagger or David Bailey or Diana Rigg. I see you attacked by two large... What? ...things. I do dispose of them. No, I do. And then, within a couple of years, they were gone, leaving only a wistful yearning, never quite fulfilled. Until now, maybe. English director Edgar Wright has channelled all his nostalgia for the mid-60s, not that he was actually there, into his new film. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go It's a bit of the knack and blow-up, slices of Roman Polanski's repulsion and the slightly later Don't Look Now and Suspiria. And most of all, it's the images conjured up by the pop of the era, Scylla and Dusty, Sandy Shore and Lulu. And the title comes from that most 60s of pop groups, Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Last Night in Soho may also be the launch pad for the next big thing. The two leads have been on the verge of making it for a year or two. The exotic Anya Taylor-Joy and the fragile-looking Thomas and Mackenzie from New Zealand. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. 
Meanwhile, there are other interesting hopefuls on the horizon. Two dark horses make an impression in a little film called Falling for Figaro. Australian Danielle MacDonald and Englishman Hugh Skinner. It doesn't hurt that they're supported by that 60s it girl, Joanna Lumley. The person who sent you owes me an apology. You owe me an apology. Shut up! I haven't quite finished telling you how worthless you are. And on Netflix, two actresses take the dramatic high road to possible stardom. Passing is the first film as director by actress Rebecca Hall, and it stars Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger. So you haven't ever thought to? What? Have you ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. Tessa comes fresh from Thor and Creed, while Ruth scored in the critically acclaimed Loving, and appropriately today, a TV biopic of the great Shirley Bassey. So who will end up the top of the pops? That's one of the questions asked in Last Night in Soho. I've got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. Last Night in Soho starts deceptively simply, like many of director Edgar Wright's films. Eloise is packing in her bedroom at her granny's house in Cornwall. Posters, pin-ups, old album covers, and in pride of place, a picture of Audrey Hepburn in her breakfast at Tiffany's phase. Not... I could live any place and any time I'd live here. In London. In the 60s. Eloise has much of Audrey's elfin appeal, but does she have the same grit underneath? She'll need it as she heads off to big bad London and the fashion business. She moves into a bedset run by Diana Rigg in her final role before her death last year. Miss Collins? Yes? It's Ali. We spoke on the phone. Oh, yes. Room is on the top floor. Diana Rigg is not the only 60s presence in the cast. There are featured roles for Rita Tushingham, Terence Stamp and original Bond girl Goldfinger's Margaret Nolan. Right, well, before we start, we need to establish some rules. I have a few rules. Don't take smokers. I don't smoke. No male visitors after 8 o'clock. Not a problem. And no using the laundry room at night. It rattles right through to mine. Eloise, she prefers Ellie, has already established her obsession with the city and the era in her fashion choices. But things take a turn for the strange when that night she has a more than usually vivid dream. A dream of stardom in 1966. Last night, I saw something in my dreams. The 60s surrogate is Sandy, who lands in Soho clubland with a ruthless determination to make it as a singer. Sandy's played by the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy, a far more glamorous 60s type than Ellie. Marianne Faithful, maybe, or even Brigitte Bardot. There was a girl. And you are? Sandy. The way director Edgar Wright works his two leads is dazzling. Many of the effects are practical in-camera tricks using mirrors, real and fake, doubles and brilliant choreography. In a digital world, nothing succeeds like real movie magic. La, 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 
Ellie wakes up and can't shake her dream off, particularly when she picks up the action the following night. It's undeniably exciting at first. Parties, nightclubs and always the promise of fame and fortune. And if Sandy runs into some pretty sleazy types along the way, well, this is her time, not theirs. Hello, you're a gorgeous creature. What's your name? Sandy. Go to join my friends and I, Sandy. Thanks. But I'm here to meet the owner. I am the owner. Oh, I doubt that. I'm whatever you want me to be, Sandy. But, of course, that's not true. Yes, the 60s were huge fun. The music, the fashion, the beautiful people and the famous sexual revolution. But it's also completely run by men and older men at that. Very few of the so-called stars were in charge of their own lives, least of all the women. Well, hello there. The bartender said I should get to know the handsome fella standing next to Silla Black. You should. And you are? The next. Silla Black. Are you now? And Ellie's dreams start turning into nightmares. She starts to wonder if Sandy could have been a real person. Who was she and who was her dangerous friend Jack? Matt Smith is a very 60s hustler. If it's a dream, whose dream exactly? What did you see? Ghosts. Last Night in Soho is a brilliant recreation of a very specific era, all the more impressive for the production being closed down for weeks last year. The closing credits roll over those nights in Soho, eerily deserted during lockdown. Like most Edgar Wright films, it's occasionally too clever by half, though 60s directors like Dick Lester and Roman Polanski would no doubt heartily approve of that. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still like that. I have to stop him. Slightly more puzzling is why the publicity for the film has tended to overlook actual star Thomas and Mackenzie. It is Eloise's story. She's in just about every scene in favour of the undeniably glamorous Anya Taylor-Joy. I could see you want it. More than anything. Well, this is just a taste of things to come, Sandy. So which one will the public take to its bosom? I'm reminded of 60s hit movie Georgie Girl. Good girl Lynn Redgrave got the boy at the end, but it was bad girl Charlotte Rampling who walked off with the stellar career. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You're going to have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. Will Anya Taylor-Joy pull off the same trick? It all comes down to what happens next, I suppose. Thomason's finishing an English TV series based on a clever Kate Atkinson novel, while Anya's next is a star-studded movie with Robert De Niro and Margot Robbie. Let's see who lets their life go, I suppose.
Watching the lead actress in a little film called Falling for Figaro, I struggled to remember where I'd seen her before. Australian Danielle MacDonald was terrific in I Am Woman as a rock journalist, as Madeline the Medium in French Exit, and particularly as a cop in an American TV thriller called Unbelievable. I've always wanted to be an opera singer. Like in the shower? Yeah, exactly. You got it in mind just like in the shower. She was completely different in all of them, but frankly, nobody's idea of a movie star, particularly a would-be star opera singer, which she plays in Falling for Figaro. And American to boot. She's also the romantic lead. Spend the rest of my life as a fund manager. It's not who I am. Well, who do you think you are then? Well, I'm going to give myself a year to find out. Millie ditches a successful career as a bank fund manager to become a serious singer, which you'd think would be a big ask. But you don't become a fund manager without a good eye for a shortcut. And the shortcut to fame and fortune, as we all know, is to win a TV talent quest. For that, you'll need a genius vocal trainer. To take the fast track, there is one way. Megan Jeffrey Bishop, you will love her. What do you want? Uh, um, singing lessons. My God, you're even worse than I thought. Megan, Joanna Lumley, is, of course, in a movie like this, the vocal coach from hell. She's about to toss Millie out on her ear until Millie reveals that she has a wad of fund manager funds in her back pocket and is prepared to pay well over the odds for a year's tuition. Megan grudgingly agrees. Some people say an opera singer needs to suffer. These are my rules. No drugs. No visitors. No alcohol. But I'm staying in a pub. Yes, ironic, isn't it? Interesting that Joanna has quite similar house rules to her fellow Avenger, Diana Rigg, in Last Night in Soho. But now we need to introduce a complication. We've met Millie's suave, wealthy boyfriend waiting for her in London. Now enter Megan's other pupil, poor but worthy Max. Is she dreadful? It'd be a complete waste of time. He's my other student. Do you have any local specialties? <laughs> You're the chef here as well. It's not so difficult to imagine. Don't think of her as a rival. The girl might have potential. Max is played by Hugh Skinner, another I-know-the-face actor who you may remember from TV shows Fleabag and The Windsors. He's very funny in both. Can he take a romantic lead, particularly as a convincing baritone, we wonder? La, come on, la. Where's your tongue? Uh, Keep singing. I'd like to help you. Come over to my place. Your place. Can you feel the vibrations? Um, yeah. Falling for Figaro was written and directed by veteran Australian Ben Lewin, whose last film of note was an unlikely winner, the sex surrogate comedy drama The Sessions. Now, I'm not sure Falling for Figaro quite matches that film. Apart from anything, Millie and Max look such unlikely inheritors of the mantles of Dame Curie and Pavarotti that our disbelief isn't so much suspended as flapping in the breeze. Do you think the girl can win the singer of renown? It is possible. I'm really confused right now. But I came here to win a singing competition. Hey, what's happened? I can't do this. But the script is smarter than it first appears. Yes, it is about following your dream, even one as unlikely as winning an opera competition after just one year of tuition. 
The point is that a prize you can bluff your way to get is hardly worth winning, you'd think. It's not like boxing, where you can win with one lucky punch. It's the same chance I do. The contest on stage is presumably echoed off it too. Ah, good performances enough to take Danielle MacDonald and Hugh Skinner to the next level. Well, if you want to know what that means, take a look at your co-star. Joanna Lumley, as always, dominates the screen without breaking a sweat. It's just all so dramatic. Oh, grow up. Start again, bar 32. One bit of good news in a challenging couple of years for filmmakers has been the sharp increase in movies made by women. Films like Passing, the directorial debut of actress Rebecca Hall that's currently screening on Netflix. Passing was an expression much used in 1929 when the original novel was written. In the race-obsessed United States, black people were second-class citizens, unless they were sufficiently light-skinned to pass for white. It was a risky practice, though. Tell me, can you always tell the difference? Oh, now you really are sounding ignorant. No, no, I mean it. Feelings of kinship or something like that. Hugh, stop talking to me like you're writing a piece for the National Geographic. I can tell same as you. Irene, played by Tessa Thompson, is a middle-class black woman who takes a chance entering a swanky New York restaurant. She may not be claiming to be white, but just being among white people at such a place could lead to trouble. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm -hmm. And there she meets an old school friend, Claire, who's dyed her hair blonde and is clearly used to being accepted as white. Now, they weren't particularly close at school, but now Claire is hungry to talk to someone from her past. Living in white society seems to be like going undercover in enemy territory. And then we meet the enemy, Claire's husband, John. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know you dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew. No, 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 not at all. I hate them. <laughs> 1929 racism was rather different from today's. For a start, it was a lot more open and unembarrassed. There may not have even been a name for it back then. Irene is still horrified. She makes her apologies and goes home to Harlem, where her husband Brian is an overworked doctor. Isn't she extraordinarily beautiful? I suppose. Your life is perfect. Like most middle-class women of the 20s, Irene doesn't have a job. She does do a lot of unpaid charity work, though, fundraising for what were then called Negro causes. She's surprised when Claire shows up unannounced and invites herself to one of these. John is safely out of town. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. I'll be damned. Regular guest of honour at these functions is white liberal Hugh, a nice performance by Bill Camp, who's fascinated by Irene's exotic guest. 
and so well has Claire been passing that it comes as a genuine shock to discover her secret. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for colour. Passing was a not uncommon subject for old Hollywood, though in films like Imitation of Life and Showboat, the key role would always go to a white actor. So to cast Ethiopian-born Ruth Negger as Claire is braver than it looks. English director Rebecca Hall has an unexpected connection to the subject matter. Her maternal grandfather was Afro-American and also kept quiet about it. It's just plain exoticism. An interest in what's different. A kind of emotional excitement. Something you feel in the presence of something strange. And even perhaps a bit repugnant to you. And there you have it. This is not only Rebecca's remarkably assured first film as director, but it's her first screenplay as well. It's quite wonderful, not least for how it opens up the theme of passing. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? I'd do what I want more than anything right now. I'd come up here to live with you. But many of the other characters are passing in their own way. Irene's husband, Brian, is hiding his growing contempt for his own country when he sees the effect of American policies on his patients' lives. Meanwhile, white writer Hugh has his own secret life, and so, it's implied, does his wife, Bianca. Bianca and co are always raving on about the good looks okay. of some Negro, especially an unusually dark one, like Ralph Hazelton there. Irene herself is struggling with feelings she doesn't understand, and much of that conflict is expressed without words, with close-ups of hands, with yearning shots of Irene worried about Claire's future, and Claire being drawn irrevocably back to a life where she doesn't have to pretend anymore. You think they'd be satisfied being white? Who's satisfied being anything? So is director Rebecca Hall a one-trick pony? After all, this is clearly a project she's devoted years to. Well, I don't think so. She's too good an actress herself not to be fully involved in the two brilliant lead performances. If she, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger aren't all nominated for Oscars next year, I'll be very disappointed. We're all of us passing for something or other. Aren't we? Almost as disappointed that it's not had a cinema release, though with half the country in lockdown, that's probably a good thing. If you've got Netflix, chase it up. If you haven't, pretend to be a friend to someone who does. Sometimes passing's the best policy. And on that enthusiastic support of fraud, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.